0: As we uh, as we go into this morning's message, uh, some of you I, I know, as I gaze out upon the crowd, weren't here with us last Sunday. But if you recall, last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, and uh, as Pentecost Sunday, uh, I preached a, a message concerning Pentecost Sunday, and I left us with a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I preached about the three. Three times that, that the Lord has visited the earth and He came and He dwelt and He walked in the garden with Adam and then sin separated Adam and, uh, and God per se. And then Jesus was born of a virgin and Jesus dwelt among men for some 33 years. Uh, He was 100% God yet He was 100% man. And then when Jesus went away, um, you see, God has this—he uh, has this this desire just to abide with humanity. So when Jesus went away, He said, "I'm not going to leave you here alone." He said, "I'm going to send you another Comforter, and that Comforter is the Holy Ghost." And so we we have the the third the third presence of God on the earth actually is the Holy Ghost abiding in us. Now He doesn't. Uh, He does it, uh, if you would, manifest in in a fleshly body such as Jesus did. But the Holy Ghost does live in us as believers, spirit-filled believers. So that's where I left us with last Sunday. Now, so the abiding presence is here in us until... The rapture of the church takes place. You won't find that word rapture in the Bible, but it does mean a catching away. And we see that principle given in Scripture and, and the teaching of the great catching away. When the rapture of the church takes place, guess who leaves with the church? The Holy Ghost leaves with the church. And as the Holy Ghost leaves with the church, then that leaves the world, if you would, without the restraining presence of God on it. And uh, pardon my expression, but we've, we've often heard it said, hell on earth. Uh, it won't be literally hell on earth, because what's going to happen on earth won't be as bad as hell itself. But what we would consider or, talk or say is hell on earth will occur when the church leaves. You don't want to be here in that time. I don't want to be here in that time, nor do I want anybody else to. So having made made that point, never estimate, never underestimate the importance of the church's role in the world today. The church is very important in the world right now. Even though in America we have a few years ago, we tipped over the balance and we became a post Christian society. You know, uh, all of the things that we see, you know, like printed on, a, on our currency, One Nation Under God, and, and you all know, I'm, I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard or you don't know about, you know, taking down of monuments and taking down of uh, the high school over right near where we live, They, took, they there had been a, uh, a, a prayer over... The uh, In the lunchroom, a prayer that was put in a big picture frame on the wall had been there, I believe, since 1961, and the county was made to remove it. You know, we, we see a lot of things happen. We live in a post-Christian society, okay? It, we're just there. It is what it is. But never underestimate the importance of the church. In fact... I'm a believer that the church is more important now than maybe it has been at any time in American history. Okay? It's very important right now, our role in this world that we call America, the United States of America that we live in. It, It is because the Holy Spirit that dwells in us that keep the work of darkness at bay. If it was not for the church right now, I, I, would, I would hate to even imagine the condition that this country that we live in would be were it not for the church. Because if it wasn't for the church worldwide, there would be nothing but darkness and chaos. That day's coming again when the rapture takes place. You and I have a place in this world that is far bigger than we could ever think or imagine. Nikki, I'll need you to advance my slide. My clicker's not working for something. There it goes. Okay. Uh, You and I have a, a purpose in this world that's far bigger than you and I ever imagined, probably. We find that the Scripture declares that we as the church are both salt and light. Okay? And that's where I want us to go in the Scriptures. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus addressing his followers. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town, if you're reading the King James, it says a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, a bushel, I think, if you're reading King James. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Father, we ask you bless the reading of your word. So I want to put this in context for you. I want to, we're preaching to you with a thought in mind, taste and see. A little bit different than taste and see has we behold it in Psalms 34, but yet very important to taste and see. When we find these verses of scripture, we find them immediately following or at the end of Jesus teaching the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes were Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the meek. We, we, we find The Beatitudes in verses 1 through 12 describe the in, essential character of a Jesus follower, of a Christ follower. Beatitudes itself means a state of great joy. We even find in these Beatitudes that we're instructed to take pleasure when it's unpleasurable. We're instructed to be full of joy when it's not necessarily all that joyful. So, each character or each reference in the Beatitudes yet is referred to as blessed. You know? Now, in this modern day time, and I'm not I'm not bashing any preacher, but and, and, but, but through through the years we hear so much about having blessings and, and you know we're here gathered this this morning, <coughs> excuse me, we are a Pentecostal congregation and and we put so much emphasis on blessings. I'm gonna go get me a blessing, or I got me a blessing this morning, or I need me a blessing. And we talk so much about the blessings of the Lord. But, but each character it's referred to in these beatitudes declared us as being blessed. We are blessed even when everything isn't going good. We're blessed when old Fluff the cat just got run over out in the middle of the street. Okay? We're blessed when the wash machine just tore up. You know, we're blessed when the doctor didn't tell us exactly what We wanted to hear. We still find ourselves blessed. The declaration of the Lord's assignment of being salt and light comes at the end of Him declaring all the status, if you would, of blessedness. Now, these two metaphors of salt and light are used to illustrate our earthly assignment. Sister Sarah and I were talking the other day and we're talking about situations and circumstances of sometimes if we're not careful, we can get so heavenly minded that we become no earthly good. Sometimes we can become, become so spiritually overwhelmed, if you would, or, uh, uh that we lose somewhat consciousness that we're in this world. We, uh, but yet we must remember, and I'm here to remind you this morning, that, that God has called us and he's given to us to live and to operate in this world. We are here as followers of Jesus. We are here on assignment from the Lord. I don't believe in happenstance. I don't believe in mistakes. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in luck. Okay. I heard a preacher say the other day, he said, I'm a lucky man. I found this woman to be my wife." I thought, man, man, you're not lucky. You're blessed, you know. But we're here for a reason. I believe, I believe with all my heart, because he said, I knew you before you were knit in your mother's womb, that God has you here for a place and a time and for a reason. You know, I could have been born, you could have been born, any other place in the world, okay? We could have found ourselves somewhere else in the U.S. We could have found ourselves in a third world country. But God has chosen for you to be right here in Mercer County, West Virginia. Unless, of course, you live in Tazewell or Bland or, you know, we're at Raleigh County or something like that. Like that, But God has chose you to be right where you're at. Right now at this time. And I believe that. And I believe you're here for a purpose. So in all of that. Jesus doesn't say that, uh, that you are like salt or light. He doesn't say that you will be salt and light. But he says you are salt and light. We're created for that purpose. Our blessedness is. Our blessedness, the Beatitudes, our blessedness comes, becomes a blessing to our surroundings. You see, you're a blessing to somebody. You might not realize this. You may think this. You may think, I don't affect anybody. I don't, I don't, I don't touch anybody's life. I have nothing to do with nobody else. I'm no good for nothing. You know, I'm just, I'm just no more than to be bagged up and, and thrown out in the garbage. You, You may feel that way at times about yourself, but let me tell you something. Every single one of us in this room is a blessing to somebody else in some form or some fashion at some time in our lives. And it's probably, occurs more often than you and I even realize. Okay. So that's our purpose in the world. Now, as we begin to look at salt and light, I want you to see the nature of salt. The nature of salt the first thing I want you to to gather with me when when Jesus is speaking this, understand this. Jesus is speaking to this in the culture of the the dispensation of time that he's in, and most of the world was there was a strong presence of Roman government. Okay, uh, so even though Jesus was technically a Jew, there was a strong presence of Roman government around him, and in particular in the financial system, salt was very, very valuable. You know, we put a lot of emphasis on silver and gold, and certainly silver and gold have always been precious metals. But there's other substances besides silver and gold that have great wealth. In the time that Jesus spoke these words, salt was of great wealth. Now, most of us, when we think about salt, we think about a little glass bottle on our table, or we think about a blue box in the cabinet with a little girl with the umbrella up, don't we? You know, that's what we think about when we think about salt. Unless you want some of those people... That is, you don't eat that kind of salt, but you got this pink Himalayan salt. We got some of that. We got the sea salt that, you know, it's not as bad for you as regular salt. But I read something the other day It says it don't matter where it comes from. Salt is salt, and it's still bad for you, okay? And so it went over-consumed. But... That's the way we think of salt. Just up the road here, about an hour or so, you can go to Saltville, Virginia. And Saltville, Virginia is named Saltville, Virginia because that's where the salt mines were at during the Civil War. And salt was a very precious commodity during the time of the Civil War. So salt to us is a little bit different. But listen, to Jesus, it was considered of great worth because to the Romans, salt was The only thing that was considered more valuable than salt to the Romans was the sun itself. The S-U-N. There was such great value placed by the Roman government on salt. Uh, Have any of y'all ever heard that expression? They ain't worth their weight in salt. Or they ain't worth their pay in salt. That goes all the way back to the time of Romans. The Romans, because the Roman government, which and the Roman government, most of the employment of Rome was actually military employment. And most Roman soldiers received their pay in salt. They were given salt. They didn't get money. They didn't get dollars. They didn't get a check from Chase Bank. They didn't get a check from, from wherever else they could have possibly gotten from. They, they, didn't, they didn't even get a credit card you know, or anything like that. They received their pay in salt. So that is where the phrase, he's not worth his weight in salt, comes from. So salt was a very valuable commodity in Jesus' day. I I could park there a little while longer. I'm going to move on. So salt was important. Salt kept the soldiers going. It was a necessity of life. And their bodies would become deprived of many, many nutrients. But salt was the source of replacing that nutrients. But here's some things that salt do. Salt... It's not only valuable, but salt brings taste. Now I pick at some of these guys that's sitting in here this morning. We eat breakfast together two or three times a week and some of them will pick up a salt shaker and they throw salt all over whatever. And I ask, I said, what are you doing that for? That's of the devil. You know, salt's of the devil. You know, salt and Diet Coke, that's two things that are of the devil, you know. Now, but Sarah and I haven't eaten salt and I don't know 15, 16, 17 years whatever you know we haven't we, we, we haven't eaten salt mainly' because it's something called BP and I'm not talking about gasoline I'm talking about blood pressure. So we hardly ever unless I peel a raw potato you know well I, if, of course a potato is raw when you peel it most of the time but you can't eat raw potato without salt on it okay? You can't eat cucumber without salt on it okay? It's hard to eat watermelon without salt on it okay but I try we try to avoid salt but the reality of it is salt brings taste when you put salt on something salt unleashes the flavor every once in a while I won't tell Sarah because I, I I like cooking one of these days when I retire from ministry I'm gonna open me a restaurant and, and I won't tell her but sometimes it depends on what I'm fixing I'll rub, it, you know, if I if I'm grilling us some steaks or something like that, I'll secretly, without telling her, we'll rub a little bit of salt on it. Don't tell her I've done that, though. Okay. The pink Himalayan kind of pink Himalayan salt. Yeah. but but overall we're sort of salt free. But but it can take what is bland. The salt can take what's bland, and it suddenly makes it exciting. Okay. It enlightens. It enlightens us to all the consumer goodness, if you would. You yeah, understand this? Living a life for Christ should also be exciting. You know, as believers, believers should be the most exciting people in the world. I mean, we're living our life. We're citizens of the greatest nation, not on earth. We're citizens, we're, we're citizens, we're just, we're just living here waiting on our transfer papers. We're, our, our residence is not really the planet earth, our residence is heaven. And, and, and we live, we, we live as exciting people, we're a salt, and we should be excited, we should, we should be joyful in the most adverse situations. We should, he's already declared we're blessed in adverse situations, but even in joyful situations, they're not always pleasant. I understand that. I already already know that. But we should have joy in knowing. Uh You know, like old Sister Porterfield, one of my mom's good friends, she used to say, she said, Honey, I know that I know that I know that I know that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And this old world, is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And it didn't matter what came on Sister Porterfield's way. She had the joy of the Lord. And we find the scripture says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So even when everything is wrong, we're still the salt of the earth. Third thing that happens is salt preserves. Now, I know I don't look all that old, and it's funny, you know. The other day uh, we were talking about uh, some some different things, and and we uh, was talking to some young people, and I love young people. Don't get me wrong, uh, but it's funny because uh, sometimes young people they don't know, you know, they don't know where stuff comes from and, and what have you. I don't think some of them anyway. But 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 when I was growing up, when I was growing up, we had, I mean. I, well, I was in the chicken business before scott browning back there you know yeah we we, we had hunt we had about a, we kept about somewhere between 75 and 100 chickens all the time we had a milk cow we had beef cattle we had hogs okay we raised we raised anywhere you know five six seven eight sometimes up to ten hogs a year and 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 Thanksgiving to us, I'm sorry, but now, now, now we, uh, you know, now Sarah and I, we fix a big Thanksgiving dinner and we have about two dozen people come over, you know, eat Thanksgiving dinner with us and we watch a football game, you know, watch the Washington team beat the Dallas team, you know, after Thanksgiving dinner, you know, and Thanksgiving dinner's all about the new Christmas movie comes out on Thanksgiving night. I didn't know nothing about any of that stuff on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for us, you done went out on Thanksgiving, you don't, you done and shot a hog between the eyes, hung him up and done all the other stuff, you know. And you done killed hogs on Thanksgiving Day. That's what we did. Okay? And then on, on, on the Friday after Thanksgiving, you found yourself out there uh, because after they chilled all night long, you found yourself out there with a hatchet and saws and butcher knives and you, even when I was a little bitty boy, I, I was assigned to take care of the head. Okay? Because everything off the head went in liver pudding. And and you know you know you I might get off I might get blocked on Facebook for describing all this stuff. And I took that butcher knife and I work that head off. It hey, wouldn't be nothing there, but the snoot. You know, when I get done, you know, and, and we and we work all these hogs up, and we then we. And then, you know what we'd do? Uh, The smokehouse is still out there behind my son's house. And you'd go in that smokehouse, and it's well-preserved, by the way, and I'm going to tell you why it's well-preserved. We'd carry all that meat, all those shoulders, all those hams, all that side meat, all that stuff, all that fat back. We'd carry all that stuff, put it in the smokehouse, and we would get out a big old bucket of salt and start packing that meat in salt. And a year later, without refrigeration, that meat would still be good. And I still like me a big old piece of salty ham every once in a while. Yeah. I would tell you that there was no no hogs harmed in all of this event, but I can't really do that. Okay? It was for medicinal purposes only. Uh, so Understand, salt has preservative value. I, we saw it firsthand when I was a kid growing up. I still, I, you can go out in that old smokehouse right now, and that, 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 that old building, that building's probably close to 100 years old, and the floors is just as solid in it as this right here. And it all comes from all that old grease out of them hams and shoulders, and all of that salt has preserved everything that's in that building. The salt preserves. There are two ingredients that are mentioned in the Bible that are used to teach us some things. The first ingredient is yeast. Yeast. In the Bible, you you find the word leaven. Now, leaven in the Bible is what is used to make bread. And and if you read and understand about the feasts in the Bible, they're to be taken with unleavened bread. Yeast is nothing more than a mold or a fungus. Okay, And the Bible relates to it, if you would, or equates it with sin. But salt, on the other hand. Salt is a preservative. Salt prevents decay. And it illustrates the keeping power of the Holy Spirit, not only in the church, but also of the world. You see, because the church is still important in the world that we live in. Y'all hang with me. I don't, I'll hurry up. I'll hurry up. Salt creates thirst. Okay? Salt creates thirst. Eat a piece of that big old country ham. And you'll find out. You ever heard that expression, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? Now, I'm not a horse person. We That's one thing we never had was horses. You know? But I've heard that expression: you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Our neighbors had horses, though, and you know what? A horse sometimes they won't drink as they get dehydrated for whatever reason. Rather than drinking, they shut down and they refuse to drink. So you know what you do to a horse that won't drink? Give him some salt. You give him some salt tablets, and he's gonna drink. Y'all cowboys yeah, and y'all the blacks—they from out in cowboy country. Is that what you do? Yeah. yeah. Give them them some salt to make them drink. Listen. When my son was in school, his mother and I, we used to be part of the boosters club. And we worked a concession stand. And... The concession stand, we didn't have a budget that was funded by the school. Everything we earned was on our own. Let me tell you something. You want to know one way? For those of you that have kids in school, if you're helping with the booster club, here's a good way to increase your profits. When you make that popcorn in that popcorn machine, throw the salt to it because then they don't come back and they don't buy extra water and extra soft drinks, okay? It works. It works. I finally convinced all them women. I said, y'all just let me make the popcorn. I'll take, I'll take care of getting some more sales. As believers, you and I should be making others thirsty for what we have. Mm. Somebody should want what they see in us. Okay? Apostle Paul said this, and he wrote it to the Colossians church. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you, so that they may know how to answer everyone. So we we need to be we we need to make people want to be thirsty. We we need to be people that make someone call someone. I make's probably not the best word, but we call someone to desire the things of God. Now, listen to this: people may not remember what we say, but they will always remember how we made them feel. Only ten percent of, of of verbal expressions are re- remembered. But people remember how we made them feel. And if we can make people feel thirsty, make them them live a life before them where they they just want something of God. I know there's something missing in my life. And remember this, along that same line. Salt, and we got all kinds of salt in our house, I already told you that. But salt that remains in the shaker is never any good for anything. Okay, it's there but it doesn't become of any usefulness until you actually use it. So so if we're full of salt, but we're never shaking it out, we're never distributing, then we are not serving our purpose as well as God intends for us to. May we cause people to have what we have. Listen, I know y'all think I'm going to go into overtime, but I'm not. Because we don't talk about salt, taste... And then see. The light. The functions of light. Light dispels darkness. They cannot coexist together. They cannot coexist together. In fact, the Bible says that. The Bible specifically describes it, and it's describing it from a spiritual perspective. Uh, point of view that that light dispels darkness they can't coexist listen jesus and the devil can't live in the same person okay don't ever think you see a christian is demon possessed there's no possible way okay now they they can be under they could be under attack they could be influenced but there's no way they can be possessed jesus gives us a visible influence first thing he said was a First is a city on a hill. Those listening to Jesus in that day were probably very familiar with this. Even today when you go into the holy land of Jerusalem, when you look across, you look across the ridges and you look over into Bethlehem, the buildings, most of the the buildings and the walls are all built and it's white stone. And when the when the sun hits those uh, hits those cities and those those walls that are built on those hills in the surrounding area of Jerusalem, it's almost like they're illuminated, but they're not. But it's, it's because they're so white, you can't hide them, you can't disguise them, you can't camouflage them. Listen. He said, you're like a city set on upon a hill. We're upon the mountains. We're, we're to glisten and to shine in our community. Homes back then also typically were only one room, most of them. Some of them may have had more than one compartment, but the average home had only one room. And, and the only source of light, there wasn't electricity. I think we all probably can understand that and realize that there wasn't any electricity. The only light that they had, they didn't even have uh, wax candles with wicks in them. But what they did have was little, little porcelain or or, or pottery pots that were full of oil and it had a piece of rope coiled down in it. And they would pull that rope out and they would light it and that would provide light in their house. But what they would do is they would have a stand that that lamp would set on and that stand would be, you know, however high and it would be set up on that stand because then the light would radiate out and would give everyone in the room light. You know what the King James Bible says, says, uh, don't light a candle and set a bushel over it or, uh, in the newer English versions it refers to as a bowl. But in that, understand that, understand this, that as we illuminate, the purpose of the light is to reveal what's in the room. If the lamp is covered, if a bowl is put under it, not only is it not illuminating the room, but let me tell you, if we try to cover up what we have, and if you try to cover, put a bowl over that oil lamp that is illuminating that room, here's what's eventually going to happen. That oil lamp is going to burn out because of the lack of oxygen. Because you have to have oxygen to have Fire. You have to have oxygen, and I'll equate that to the breath of God. You have to have the breath of God in order to have fire. And you have to have fire to illuminate the room. Are you with me? So so it dispels darkness, but it reveals all that's in that room. Have you ever been have you any where any of y'all where any of y'all scaredy cats has has children and thought some monster was under your bed or there was dinosaurs in your room or something and other and your mom and dad goes in, or maybe it's your kids or your grandkids. Madison, you may have this happen with Heath, and you have to get up and turn on the lights just to prove that there's nothing else in the room. Okay? Light, light reveals everything that is in your surroundings. Light show will show and it will display to you. What is occurring around you? Listen, the church is the light of the world. And then the light is also used as a guide. Now, listen, I, I, man, I love flying. I love riding airplanes. And I have been on some bad flights. I've been on some rough ones. But I love flying. I love window seats Right over the wing. I like looking out at them big wings, and you see them things are moving and shaking, and all. I, I've been on those things when they run them through de icing. I've set up in Buffalo, New York, and you run you through de icing, and you sit out there another thirty or forty or fifty minutes, and and that thing's done de iced up again, and you're thinking, well, what's the difference now, you know? And, and but, but I love flying. I, I, I think it's I think it's neat. But you know, one of the be- most beautiful parts about flying, I love the mountains. I love being above the clouds. I even like seeing thunderstorms below you when you're flying. For those of you who've never flown, you're really missing something, okay? But, here's one of the most beautiful things about flying, is when you start approaching that runway, and you see all of these lights. Especially at the large airports. And you see all these lights and all these different runways, and you see, I, you know, I don't know, maybe I got a little bit of crow in me, but I like shiny stuff. And you start seeing all of these lights illuminating the runways. You know what they're there for? They're there to guide those planes safely into the terminal. You see the light of the world, the church, we're, we're the light of the world and, 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 we're here to guide, we're here to guide vessels that are lost. We're here to guide, if you would, airplanes that were, that, that were, that were off their flight pattern or whatever. We're here to guide, we're here to illuminate the runway of life, to guide some people on into home. So we're here to salt, we're here to keep, we're here to light up the, the, the world and God has given us this opportunity. What a great opportunity. It is. You know, sometimes we ignore... And, and God knows I drive 77 and 81 enough that I understand it. Don't you just hate it when you're driving the interstate and you done went by 15 signs that said left lane closed ahead, merge right, and you still got that person with Ohio tags on them that passes you and wants to squeeze in at the last minute. That big arrow's flashing. Three or four of the big arrows, they're just flashing and flashing, flashing. And they, and they just want to ride all the way to the front. They're privileged characters. You know what? Forgive me if this bothers you, but I don't let them in. <laughs> if I can help it. Okay? If I can help it, I don't let them in. i said, say, bless God, you can just sit over here and wait wait a while, you know, we get to let everybody catch up where you should have been back there anyway. Yeah. But you know, there are people that ignore those road signs and those arrows and their, those lights. God help us that we don't ignore the light of the world. God help us that we don't ignore the direction that God gives us through the light of His Word and the light of His Spirit. It was a light that shone over Bethlehem. We call it a star. It was a light that shone over Bethlehem. And it, listen, it wasn't there just one night like we sort of portray in our Christmas play. It was there for a long time. And it guided the people, the wise men and the shepherds. It guided those, those people, those, those people that were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Savior. It guided them right to where He was at. Listen. The church, we're guiding people towards the Savior. We're guiding people towards home. We're guiding people. And it's all so important. So we've not lost our place. I'm going to finish i I promise. I'm going to finish up. Okay. So how can the salt lose its saltiness? Verse 13. After all, listen, think about this. Does this make sense or not? Salt, salt. If salt wasn't salty, would it be salt? The salt that was common to Jesus in Jesus' time was salt that was extracted from water resources, especially the Dead Sea and in the surrounding areas. Unlike the salt that we know that is mined, the salt that Jesus uh, was familiar with was... was, uh, Our salt is pure. Our salt's been refined, okay? It even has additives in it many times. But the salt that Jesus uh, was familiar with had contaminants. And it had impurities. And it would actually spoil. Okay? You see, we need, we, need the, we need the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to refine us. Because once the salt spoiled, then it was worth nothing else, he said, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Just put it back to the ground. But we need to be refined. We need the sanctifying work of the Lord Jesus Christ... To work in our life. Secondly, how do you hide a light? I've already talked about this. A bowl would be used to snuff out the light, light, the light. It would deplete the oxygen from the light and it would go out. What Jesus is saying to us goes much more than just trying to conceal our illumination. Jesus is saying you can't afford to be extinguished. You can't afford to let your testimony be extinguished. God intends for us to let our light burn until we're called out of this world. Whether it's by rapture or whether it's by the way of the grave. Psalms 34, the psalmist said, Taste and see that the Lord is good. We played that before service started. Some of you, a lot of you were already here. We played that song by Shane and Shane. I I, I can't play it while we're on the air because then we'll we'll get... We'll get deemed. We'll get knocked off the air because of uh, possible copyright infringements even though we have license. We might play it after service on the way out. Remember that, Nikki. Taste to see that the Lord is good. The psalmist said, Taste to see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. As believers, we have a huge responsibility in this world that we live in. What you and I do... And how we represent is critical to the kingdom of God. I want you to know that we're not here just to endure. I love I love the old song. I love the old songs probably as much as anybody, but but we're not just here to 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 keep holding on. I'm just holding on. Jesus, come to me. I'm not here to just keep holding on. I'm, I'm not, I'm not just drag, I'm just dragging my leg along, dragging my old bad leg along for you, Jesus, just trying to make a home. I'm just getting a, no, no, no. He, he, Jesus didn't, He didn't design for us. He don't intend for us to, to, to just, to just drag through this world, but He intends for us to be representation of the kingdom of God. Taste and see. Taste and see. That the Lord is good. If you're not a Christian here this morning, if you've never, and by that I mean you've never surrendered your heart and your life to Him in, in faith, you've never believed upon Christ as your Savior in faith, then it's a good day to taste and see that the Lord is good. If you're here and you're a believer, and as believers, you and I, we mean to make sure we, we have some taste, we need to make sure that we're seen. In other words, that our light is burning brightly. This church was founded by, uh, many years ago. It was, who, somebody might have to tell me it was around 1952, 1952 that this church was founded. And it was founded by a, a fellow that I, I, I got to know personally in late, in the latter years of his life. His name was Irving Smith. Any of y'all remember Brother Smith? Anybody remember Brother Smith? A few of y'all remember Brother Smith. But Irving Smith had a brother, Walter. And they came from Oklahoma. How'd y'all y'all Oklahoma people get here anyway? And Walter and Irving Smith, they had the Smith Brothers duet. And they used to do radio shows. They recorded music and uh, they started a lot of churches including this very church that we're in now uh, when it was down here in the holler but they wrote a song and as they got older in years back in, in the day one of them played an accordion and the other one played a guitar but as they got older and they couldn't do their music anymore they would ask me from time to time to play the guitar for them for them to sing but they whenever they sang no matter how many songs they had to sing Whatever it was, it could have been a funeral, it could have been a church service, whatever it was, they were going to sing a song they wrote. And that song was a song that, and I love to get the words to it. I need to talk to Irvina, she probably would have them. Irvina Parker, the daughter. But the words to that song was, let my light, let my lamp, let my light be burning bright. That was the song. Let my light keep burning bright. Everywhere I go. That's what I want to be as a follower of Jesus. I want my light to burn bright. I'm not perfect. No, I'm not perfect. I want my light to burn bright. I want to have a little bit of saltiness about me. A whole lot of saltiness. Because, you know, I want, I want to bring out the taste. And, and I hope that you do too. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, please. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I just wonder, without any embarrassment, is there anybody in this room this morning that needs, that says, "Pastor, I, I I would like to be saved. I'm, I'm not saved, but I want to be saved. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. I want to know I'm going to heaven if the rapture takes place. Is there anybody in this room that can identify, with, say it, saying that, Pastor, I need to be saved today?